tonight um, we're breaking from the Sermon on the Mount because my friend from Austin is here and he is a treat and you guys get the honor of um, hearing someone whom I've been good friends with for a few years um, and just some of the, an idea of some of the things we get to talk about I think are going to come through in this um, nope. and um, he's also very tall because I can't stand back here you lose half of me so um, um yeah, Dane um, is, um, he's gifted in the arts, in stories, in writing, in, uh, he led theater here at LACS, Lake Road Christian School, for many years, and um, it was a tremendous program when he was leading it. Um, he, right now, is in Austin. He is, goodness, the director of the fine arts at Regents Christian School. Yeah. Oh, I got it. Yeah, he's been in Austin for the last three years, um, and his wife, Megan, is beside him. She teaches second grade currently, and uh, she also taught here at Lake Road Christian School some time ago. Now, um, Dane is also part of, he's the president of Stage and Story, and this is an organization that's aimed at uh, encouraging Christians in the imagination, a theology of imagination, a community of imagination, because sometimes ironically, we are the people of the God who created and keeps creating and sustains creation. And yet sometimes Christians are the most uncreative. And our, our approach to God can sometimes be very boring and dull and unimaginative. Um, so Dane has been stirred with a heart to help encourage Christians who have imagination to have a platform and a place, uh, conferences at times and podcasts and uh, Zoom meetings where we can encourage that imagination in one another. Um, so you may have heard, I know I've shared in the past some of the Stage and Story podcasts. He's had me on as a guest for some of these. Um, you want to might want to check that out later if you've never checked it out. So Dane's here and he's going to share with us. Um, we're, so we're breaking from the Sermon on the Mount. This will be a little more topical, but it's to encourage you guys this evening. So if you guys would welcome Dane Bundy, that would be appreciated. Boy, what a what a privilege it is to to be here with you all. Y'all get that y'all from Texas. Yeah, yeah. We're not really from Texas and we don't really say y'all, but um, we have yeah. That's right. We just have uh, such fun memories of of being here and so the opportunity to come visit uh Brandon and to be with you was like, yes, let's let's do it. Well, Today, I would like to talk with you, have a conversation with you about the arts. And the, the topic of today is three ways that art engages with Christianity. This is a picture of some of the students that uh, that Megan and I um, and and Brandon got to to teach, and this was at our house in in Twin Peaks, and we were Megan. Do you remember which play we were working on at that Alice time? Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, and we were doing um, getting costumes ready and all of that. When Megan and I first moved up here and started getting to know these kids and working with them, we were blown away by. <laughs> the natural gifting and creativity that they had. 
We had never experienced something like this before. We had worked at a lot of different schools, but it was like God had sent a tsunami, a good one, a tsunami of creativity onto this mountain, and these students absorbed it. And it was such a privilege to to work with them and uh, and to help them understand what it means to do creative things in a way that honors the Lord. It's made me also think about this idea that God doesn't always distribute gifts in the same way. He will give some people over here tons of gifts in this area. And then over here, he will give gifts uh, in another area. And it's in God's sovereignty that he distributes those gifts as he does. Sometimes it's easy to get jealous of other people's gifts. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. I have. No, never. Yeah, (laughs) I definitely have. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Amadeus. It's a great movie. And it's the story of Mozart and his arch enemy, Salieri. Now, Mozart in this film is portrayed as brilliant, a genius, and a bumbling fool. He is the foil, the contrast to Salieri, who is respectable, godly, gifted, but he realizes that he pales in comparison to the gifts that this fool, Mozart, has been given. And Salieri grows bitter. Instead of growing thankful to God for how he has given gifts to some and to others in another way, it consumes him and becomes in on himself, bitter and angry. And that's a great, that's a good expression to to show his heart. (laughs) One of the big events in my life that really helped me get excited about thinking about the arts and creativity from a Christian perspective uh, was this organization called the Rabbit Rabbit Room. I don't know if any of you have heard of a singer-songwriter named Andrew Peterson. And uh, I would really encourage you to look him up. Really thoughtful lyrics, uh, biblically centered, uh, excellent. And he and his brother started this community for Christians who loved the arts. And it was called... Uh, the Rabbit Room, and they held a conference in 2013 that I attended, and it was in Nashville in this small little Anglican church, and there was only about a hundred people there. And I don't remember everything, but I do remember this one session. It was a breakout session, and it was called the Sacred in Film. And there were a number of speakers who were talking to us about common popular movies that I was familiar with. And what was so fascinating is what he was showing us was all of the images and allusions to Christianity that just show up in our films. And there was one speaker who said he believed that you can't really understand movies in the West if you don't understand the storyline of the Bible because it has had that much of an impact. doesn't mean that all the movies obviously are Christian or even pro-Christian, but 
Christianity is so prevalent in the West, or at least it has been, that it is it is finds its way finds its way into our movies, into our pop culture. And so today I want to talk with you about this question. What do we do as Christians with the religious images and symbols that show up in the creativity that's around us? I'm going to focus specifically on movies. Raise your hand if, if, you, if you like movies. Uh, but this, this could also apply to things like reading a novel or watching a play. And so we're going to talk about three ways that art engages with God and with the Christian worldview. And so I'm going to be showing you a lot of different examples from some movies. And my hope is that you can go home this evening and have some tools to help you think more, even more biblically about the arts from a Christian perspective. So let's take a look at some, some religious imagery and symbols. This is a painting that my uncle painted. And my uncle is not a Christian, but he is an incredibly gifted painter uh, and musician. And as a young kid, I, w- I would see this picture and I would think, is my uncle a Christian? He's, he's painting Jesus. He must love Jesus. But this is interesting because we find stuff like this all around us. Mm-hmm. We'll see people with crosses in movies or crosses in television shows. Or we'll see people walking around with crosses. It doesn't always mean that they love Jesus. Here's an example from a television show called Lost. This is kind of dating me a little bit. But this is in the, the final season. And I just remember thinking, look at that stained glass window. And all of those religious images. We've got... We've got a cross, and we've got a yin-yang type thing going on. And I thought, boy, how are the filmmakers using these images in this story? Now, here's another another example. You guys may have heard of The Matrix. Here is one of the lead characters, and her name is Trinity. Huh? Is this a Christian? Is this a Christian story? I don't know. And, and the ship. This is called the Nebuchadnezzar, and I don't know if you can see this, but, but Mark 3, there's scripture that's even there. It's all throughout the Matrix. It's fascinating. Here's another film. This is The War for the Planet of the Apes. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that before. <laughs> uh, very interesting film. We're going to talk a lot about it, actually, this evening. But look at this on this big flammable tank. In the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega, right from Revelation. And the film is about this ape named Caesar, and here is him being punished. And just first thing that comes to mind, what does that look like? Crucifixion, Crucifixion, the cross. And here is the arch villain, and there he has a a cross on on his chest. Let's also talk about Lord of the Rings. We can't talk about the arts without talking about Tolkien. So here is that great face-off between Gandalf the Grey versus about Balrog. And you guys may know what happens as he fights him, and then Gandalf falls 
into that that pit and we're like oh the story is over and then in the next act gandalf the gray resurrects and becomes gandalf the white what do we do with all of these images so there he is falling here he is back as gandalf the white so the question that i often ask myself is how do we think about Christianity and art. If there's all of this presence of symbols and imagery and illusions, does that make it Christian? Or how are they using it? And so are the pieces that we just saw, Christian films, Christian pieces of art? I'd like to suggest that a better way to think about this is to ask this question. How does this film... Or how does this piece of artwork engage, interact with the Christian faith? And there is a a gentleman named Leland Riken, and he um, was a professor at Wheaton for a number of years, professor of English, and he's written a lot about the arts. And he says that there are three ways um, that we can see art engaging with Christianity, And so I'm going to talk about uh, these three ways. The first way is an inclusive way. Then there's an exclusive way. And then this one actually is not from Leland Reich, and I picked it up from somewhere else, a subversive way. Mm -hmm. This is where it gets really fun. So you guys want to see a picture of Leland Reich? Like the bow tie. There he is. (laughs) Uh, And this is one of my favorite books, um, The Liberated Imagination. If you have any interest in the arts and you want to come to a a really biblical perspective of what the Bible says about it, this is a great place to start. So let's go ahead and, and dive in. Inclusive. So an inclusive engagement with the Christian faith looks like these two circles overlapping. When... Um, when we have an inclusive engagement, what we have is things that w- pop up in the film that Christianity agrees with, but also other religions and philosophies agree with. So it's not exclusive to Christianity, but it's, it's, it's things that Christians can say, yes, we affirm that. But then so can other religions and other faiths. So some, you know, some examples might be um, like this film. This is a film. It's kind of slated as a, as a horror film, but it's a fascinating movie. Have you guys ever seen this? A Quiet Place? Um, it's about a post-apocalyptic world in which aliens have come to Earth And what attracts the aliens to them is sound. And so here is this man and his wife trying to protect his family and keep everything silent and quiet. And so what's fascinating is the approach that that John Krasinski, this is the, the, the actor here, he was also the director, and you may have seen him from the television show The Office, He talked about he wrote and directed this film as a love letter for his daughter. And the movie portrays a very, I would say, biblical approach to family, to marriage, 
to raising children. There's even a scene where they're caught holding hands and praying. Now, if aliens were around my house, I would be praying too. But um, I thought it was very interesting just to, just to point to this reality that when there is horror around us, we often turn to that which is beyond us. And so even um, these, these filmmakers who are, who are not Christian um, pick up on, on these things. And so um, there is a, I, I'm not going to give anything away, but, but there are themes that are found in Scripture that are also found in this movie. Themes of sacrifice, themes of the value and dignity of human life, the value um, of marriage. And so we call this an inclusive engagement with the Christian story. Now let's talk about exclusive so this is when we see images or ideas that are only found in Christianity that show up in, in movies. Um, so an example would be things like this, like the term Trinity um, or scripture, Revelation twenty two thirteen. Those are exclusive to Christianity, and they have been borrowed and used by this filmmaker, and that's okay. He can, he can borrow these images. Um, but these are things that we call, this is an exclusive engagement where they are picking up on things only found in Christianity. Here's another example, one that you guys might be familiar with. You guys ever seen the show The Chosen? Yeah. So retelling of Jesus' life and his um, followers, that is an exclusive engagement with the Bible because it's telling the story of Jesus and all that comes with that. We even then have films that we might call Christian movies or Christian films, uh, things like I Can Only Imagine or Fireproof, or they're always coming out with um, new films. And we typically call these like, oh, those are, those are Christian films. And it's because they explicitly are engaging with things that are, are only found in the Christian faith. Now, sometimes these categories overlap. And we'll go back to, to some old literature, Hamlet by William Shakespeare. And we have inclusive and exclusive engagement here with the Christian story. One of the big themes in Hamlet is God's providence. And there is a, a quote here that Hamlet says is, there is special providence in the fall of a sparrow, which is a direct allusion to scripture. And then there's also this important theme of justice versus revenge that flows all the way through this story. And some, that is, those are themes that we find in scripture. Here's another example. This is um, a really important book um, in, in literature, Crime and Punishment. I don't know if you guys have ever read this or remember this. The um, Fyodor Dostoevsky, who wrote this, was a Christian, and the gospel is interwoven through this story beautifully. And it's about this man, this student named Raskolnikov, and it opens with the murder of a woman. 
And the rest of the story is him bearing and dealing with this guilt that he has. And redemption finds him in an unlikely place. And um, Dostoevsky just drenches this story with scripture and the gospel at the end, I think, would you agree with me, Brandon, is very clearly portrayed. Now let's talk about another type of engagement. And this one is interesting because of the present culture that we live in. And this is called a subversive engagement. And as you can see behind me, we've got a submarine here because submersive means to come under in order to break apart and destroy. And there are stories, there are films that purposefully use Christian imagery to subvert the Christian story. And I think we see more and more of that today. And I'll show you some examples. Um, But I really want to give credit to where credit is due. This is a gentleman named Brian Gadawa. And he is a Hollywood screenwriter. Now he's a novelist. And he wrote a phenomenal book called Hollywood Worldviews. And he walks through all of these movies from the perspective of a screenwriter and also a really thoughtful Christian, helping us understand, hey, when this screenwriter is writing this, it's not an accident. He's doing it or she is doing it purposefully. And so... It really has been helpful for me to look at stories in a very different way. Okay, so we're going to talk about two examples of a subversive engagement with the Christian faith. And the first one is with the film War for the Planet of the Apes. And as I mentioned earlier, it takes place uh, in a post-apocalyptic world might see a theme in the movies that I'm talking to you about. But this is the ape, highly intelligent. The apes, if you know the story of the franchise, the apes have become intelligent. Humans started experimenting with them. And then the apes just went out of control. And so now there's two competing factions between the humans and the apes. And the, the chief villain is a special forces colonel. And he is wicked, as wicked as, <laughs> as you can get. And what the colonel does is he's no longer trying to get along with the apes. He is ready to destroy them. And so what he does is he enslaves them. And, of course, the apes try to escape. And this is an example that they're right when they're throwing, I guess, a, a grenade into this flammable container that then explodes. But before that, they have been imprisoned. They have been enslaved. And uh, eventually, Caesar is put on this cross-like structure, the leader of the apes who have been enslaved. Now, what's fascinating is eventually, I'm going to spoil it for you guys, eventually, Caesar leads the people out of this land into a promised land. What does that look like to you guys? Isn't that fascinating? A wilderness. So the question becomes this. How is the filmmaker using these Christian images, these Christian, the Christian storyline 
Is he using it to say Christianity is true? The Christian story is something we should believe. Or is something more subversive going on? And I would argue that there is something subversive going on. Because the question becomes this. All right, if this is a retelling of the Exodus story, people in Egypt, enslaved, trying to, uh, trying to escape, where is God in this narrative? Right? Because in Exodus, God plays a pretty important role. Mm-hmm. But in this film, he's totally, completely absent. Or is he? I would argue this. God is being portrayed by this man. There is a scene where he is on a balcony with his cross, shaving his head, and beneath him is Caesar on the cross. And so I think that what this story is doing is it's not just retelling the Exodus story, it's trying to subvert the Christian story. So that in the Exodus, the message that we get is trust in the Lord. He will redeem us. He is our salvation. In this film, it's freedom is found in escaping on our own. We can lead ourselves out of our own slavery into the promised land. Let me introduce to you another film, uh, one of my favorites. Have you guys ever seen The Truman Show? Uh, a wonderful movie. I always love watching comedians who take on serious roles because they're always so excellent. And Jim Carrey just does such a great job. So you may remember a little bit about this film if you've seen it. It's called The Truman Show. And it, it focuses on this man named Truman. And he lives in this little town called Sea Haven. And what Truman doesn't know is that he is actually part of a reality TV show. And the whole world sits down at a certain time each night and watches this man's life unfold. And they began the show when he was a young child. And then it goes all the way to when he's an adult. And then... He finds out that he is, that the world that has been around him is actually not the real world. This is a fabrication, it's a set. And the, what's interesting is Truman represents the true man. And the director of the Truman show is named Christoph. He is the creator of the television show, who directs every part of Truman's life. He knows everything, and he sees everything about Truman. And he even seems, look at that face, look at that. He even seems to love Truman. And there is is Sea Haven, it's one big, one big set. And there we can see that Christoph seems to really love um, this man, Truman, who he has, who has come to know. 
And in the moon is the directing studio. So Christoph is here up in the heavens, and he is directing all of the things that are that are going on. And what's fascinating is I went back because I had some inclinations. A friend talked to me about this and said, Dane, you know, what's going on in this film is not maybe what you think is going on. He said there's some things, some some subversive things that are going on in this movie. And so I went back and I read the script, and it was fascinating to me. Some of the, the, the names of the characters that have no important roles are names like this. Roman, Simeon, Moses. And this woman is the one who awakens Truman from his delusion. He is in sea haven. We might say he's in... In, in, in a heaven, in a paradise type place. And here's this woman who says, why don't you try this? And gives him an apple. And Truman's eyes awaken to the world that he is living in. Now, actually, I'm sorry. So make that clear. He, she doesn't actually give him an apple, but that was kind of a metaphor that I was saying. <laughs> but it awakens, his, it awakens him to, to this reality. And so I did some scholarly research, and there was an article that argued this very same thing, that this religious imagery that is so explicit is being used to make a point about the Christian story. And so when I encounter movies like this, what we can do as Christians is ask good questions. Instead of asking, is this movie Christian? Or is this movie not Christian? We ask, how is it interacting? How is this film using these religious symbols and so on? And we might ask, okay, this main character and the villain, are any of them representing or portraying a godlike figure? And so we see Christoph here, who's being portrayed like a godlike figure, who actually, in the mind's eye of Truman, becomes a Satan-like figure. Mm -hmm. And the answer for Truman is to escape. Escape this paradise. Escape the loving, watchful eyes of Christoph. So I, I think that this film is a subversive film. I think that stories are very important to God. He is the author of creativity. He is the first and great storyteller. And stories and movies and novels are not bad things, but they can be used in many different ways. They are powerful. As you know, most arguments that we end up believing don't get to us through syllogisms. They get to us through our emotions, through our imagination. And that's exactly what stories are good at. They aim for the imagination and they bypass the mind. And so as Christians, this is our charge, is that we, like Paul says, are to take everything captive to Christ. And I believe that God likes movies. Sometimes I even dream that in heaven, 
we'll be able to see a big movie of the redemptive story from beginning to end. And we will praise God for his creativity and the fact that he would create us in his own image. But these two words are so key for Christians today is we must strive to be wise and discerning, to have our eyes open, to think about what it is that we are consuming and not just be passive, but always pause and think, is this author, is this filmmaker trying to say something about the world that we live in? And how does that stand up to what scripture teaches? So in conclusion, I hope that you guys have some tools in your toolbox that when you go home this evening and you're thinking about the movies that you've seen, ask yourself, how are these movies engaging with the Christian faith, if they are or they're not? So here's an example. I just recently saw the new Mission Impossible movie. And, you know, I watched it and I was thinking, wow, this is so fun. You know, things are blowing up and all that. And then after that movie, a friend came up to me and said, did you see all the religious imagery, the Christian imagery? And I was like, ooh, I didn't. So I went back and watched the movie last week, and it was full. There was a character named Grace. They were pursuing a cross. It was all over. And so now I'm like, my goodness, this is a big, fun puzzle. How are these filmmakers engaging with the Christian faith, with the Christian story? So in conclusion, as as Pastor Brandon mentioned, uh, the imagination is so important to the Christian. Francis Schaeffer said it's the Christian's imagination who should fly, who's, uh, it's a Christian's imagination that should fly beyond the stars. We can lead. We serve the author of the imagination, the author of creativity. Here, here's a painting by uh, Michelangelo, and I have added a couple things, as, as you can see. But this is the, uh, the creation of Adam. And I think there's something special about being created in the image of God as it relates to creativity. So, friends and sisters and brothers, as you go out today, may you engage with creativity in a way that is biblical and that honors Christ. It's been such a privilege to be Amen. with you here this evening. And um, I'll stick around if you guys have any questions or you want to disagree with some of my analysis. I did this talk, um, and I think I angered a lot of the the students because they were like, that's not what that movie's about. I'm like, oh, I got you thinking. (laughs) That's good. So thank you, guys. Thank you.